0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture reading this evening will come from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You may have noticed that next Sunday night is Christmas Eve. I want you to be sure and be here. Well, you should be here every Sunday night. But next Sunday night, what we're going to do, I plan to do, is to have a sermon designed especially for the children. And um, what I'd like mothers to do, fathers too, if they like, is to, when you get here, to bring them on down front. I think we may put those uh, portable stairs here, and I think that I will sit there. And I want to preach to them. Now, At the end of that short sermon, I'm going to make application to the adults, so you're not going to be left out, but uh, what I want to do is, I I think they're going to be sort of excited that night, don't you? And so, next Sunday night, Lord willing, we'll have a sermon especially designed for the children, and I hope you can be here. I have some favorite verses about Jesus that give me particular comfort, Hebrews 13 and 5. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Or Matthew 28 in the Great Commission and he said and lo, I'm with you always even unto the end of the world. I take great comfort in that. And he's my hero. Jesus is my hero. And I... I probably would attach this verse to that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I can't say that. I I doubt that you can say that, but it's true about Him. Tonight in this brief lesson, what I want to do is to give you five things to know about temptation from the New Testament. Five specific and very important things as we launch this week. Not that this week has some particular... Uh, need for a lesson about temptation. This is for all time, but here it is. Five important things that the scripture tells me about temptation and everybody in this room of appreciable age needs it. Here's the first one. Temptation is couched in free will. And so we see the Garden of Eden. And so Satan comes and he tempts Eve, and the Bible says that she looked at that fruit. Now, she knew what God said, that in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. But that's not the way the devil presented it to her. And she looked at it, and she saw that it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was desirable to make you wise. And the Bible says she took and ate of it. Now, it may or may not surprise you that some would blame God somewhat for that. Maybe maybe he's culpable for that. I mean, was he complicit in it. After all, couldn't God have made us in such a way that we didn't have temptation? Why did he do that? Why did he make us in such a way that we would be drawn in some ways to sin? Why didn't he just make us incapable of sinning? I can't wait for heaven. I'm telling you that one of the reasons is that we're not going to be tempted to sin. Doesn't that sound wonderful? There's no sin in heaven. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, says that it's undefiled. There's no way you could use that word. That word is not applicable to anywhere there's sin. There's not going to be any sin in heaven, and there won't be any temptation to sin. The Bible says that Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 was tempted by the tempter. I believe that every sin is preceded by a temptation of the devil, whether directly or indirectly, it all originates with with the tempter. And when you blame God for this, that he could have done it differently, he could have created a whole human experience somehow differently where we weren't tempted to sin, I want you to bear in mind that he doesn't bear responsibility for our sin. How many people in this room, we got a lot, of, a lot of young families in the West Huntsville Church for which we're very thankful, and we, we really love children around here. And how many parents do you suppose have bought bicycles for their kids one time? Did you get a bicycle when you were a kid? I, I did. I, I had more than one through those different years. I remember my first one was a used bike, and, and it was just great. It, it it was motorized, not exactly, but it did have a, a playing card that was attached to the back frame with a clothespin, and the playing card went in the spokes. You do that, James? Playing card went into the spokes. It was wonderful because you know, do you know what sound that makes? It was it was it sounded like a motor, and it was just wonderful. Ezra, Ezra, our grandson, is a great bicycle rider. He can fly on that thing. But recently, well, a few months ago, I, I was with him and he was headed into the driveway and he was going too fast and he took the curve too quick and he laid that thing down and he scooted across that concrete and it just removed the hide from his leg. And, you know, it was just a part there, but uh, I, I think it was very painful and he milked it for everything he could get for a while out of, out of that. I, I didn't like that, the fact that he fell. I, it, it just killed me that he got hurt and it was a little bloody, but uh, I never did, did feel that I was culpable for that because of helping him have a bicycle, get a bicycle. I, I, I wasn't responsible for that. And you say, well, yes, but you knew, you knew that it was very possible that when you got him a bicycle that he might fall down and, and hurt himself. Yeah, I suppose I, I, suppose I did. Now, take the logic and apply it to God. We, we wouldn't blame parents for getting their kids bicycles just despite the fact that sometimes a kid's going to fall down, going to bruise himself. That's just the nature of growing up, right? You don't blame the parents and say, well, that was just, you're culpable, that was wrong. The same, I, I would argue, is applicable to God. And God put us in a place where sin is possible and yet also a place where we can show him glory, and that's what he wants. He wants his creation to, to show him glory and praise. Is it possible if he gives us choice that we would make the wrong choices? And the answer to that is always going to be yes. The only way he could create a world in which we could voluntarily serve him is if we had the potential to choose wrongly. Temptation is couched in free will. James chapter 1 and 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempts any man. Is that disingenuous somehow? It is not. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but most families in this room have cook stoves. I'm talking about families that have children. You got a stove to cook the food on? Well, yeah. Is that dangerous to a child? Could be. What do you do about that? Now, the greater good, of course, is to have a place to cook your food. I think that's pretty important. What do you do about the fact that there could be a risk to the children? And the answer is, in every one of your houses, in every single one, including mine, You point at that with the children and you say, that will hurt you. Don't do that. Don't touch that. That'll be hot. Don't touch that. That will hurt you. And then life goes on. And God created the world and he looked at you and he said, don't touch that. That will hurt you. So, what I know about temptation, number one, is that it's couched in an atmosphere of free will. That's the way it's designed. God wrong about that? No, no, he's never wrong. And he's right about that, that. And I believe the logic helps to bear it out. Now, here's number two. I know about temptation that it's, it's accompanied by a promise. Now, you're familiar with this passage in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. God won't allow you to be tempted above that you are able. God is faithful because he will not, and he will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make also a way of escape. You might look at that and wrongly assume that what that means is that because God is faithful, he will not allow me to fall into sin. I mean, I I, I can tell you right now, I can be tempted and I can pursue whatever course I prefer and he's going to keep me from sin. That's not what that says. As a matter of fact, have you ever noticed that the next verse, verse 14, he says, he said in 13, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Verse 14 says, now you flee idolatry. You see, he can't, he can't take that human responsibility out of it. He didn't try to do that. That wasn't the point. So suppose what is, I mean, how, well, so what is the point? I think it's best illustrated by, by, by thinking about the reason why a married man with children doesn't commit adultery, what keeps him from it? I mean, you could add, you could suggest a number of things. I, I would argue, it, and, and in our marriage seminar, Cindy and I have talked for many years about, about this principle, if you want to stay away from adultery and blowing up your marriage with adultery, what you need to do is to use your imagination. And when you're tempted to that that awful sin, what you do is you stop and you picture the face of your wife, who you really love. I, I mean her face when she learns that what you have done is violate the vows of your marriage. Can you picture her face? Can you see that in your imagination? And then if that doesn't do it, you just take the next step and imagine the face of your little children as they're growing up. And at some point, you're going to have to tell them what you did to violate the vow of your marriage. Now, the time to imagine that isn't when it's already going on. That's not imagination. That'd be reality. I'm talking about the time to to do it is before you commit the sin. And imagination can help. God won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able because God is faithful. I would say that's applicable to God. And the answer is that I don't want to hurt him and the more I love him, the less I want to hurt him. We must love God so much that we resist hurting him. Here's Psalm 17 in verse 4. The Bible says, By the word of your lips I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. You get it? God is faithful He's faithful and that reality to me helps me stay away from the destroyer. Here's Psalm 119 verse 11 Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And What about Matthew chapter 6? Let's go to the next one. Here you are, 13 "And, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and I can promise you after praying a prayer like that it's going to be mighty, mighty hard for you to yield to temptation in your life. God is faithful. What does that do to you? Has he been faithful to you in your life? You just let that soak in. Is God faithful to you in your life? Has God been good to you? And you, let, you just pause and let that be a tool with which you resist the temptation that you face. And I know that all of us do. All right, here's number three. What I know about temptation from Scripture is that it's, per, it's personally sculpted for me. Here's James 1.14. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now the word is owned there. It's really very interesting. It's a Greek word, idios. I always tease that, that it comes from the, the word from which we get our English word idiot, but it doesn't mean idiot. Idios means that, that it is specifically applicable to you. It is fitted to you. It is, and sometimes the Bible will, will reference a woman's own husband or a man's own wife. And mean, it means that she's yours, you are hers. And there's that, that bond, that connection, idios, it's specifically for and about you. And every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. It's commensurate with our own personalities. Now, let's make three applications from that. Here's number one. Is that it has to do with the quantity of the temptation. This is, this is not very pleasant. What I'm about to say is not very pleasant, but I believe it's reality. It's Luke 22 and verse 31. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may be strong. It seems to me that what that teaches is that sometimes Satan specifically targets individuals. Can you deny it? I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't know how you come away from that without believing that principle that sometimes, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. I, I don't want any part of that. I, that's not a, a happy thought. That's a fearful thought. It isn't to say that we couldn't resist the devil. It is to say that sometimes the individual's sin that he's dealing with or temptation he's dealing with, it's because Satan has specifically focused his attention on him. Number two, it's the specific sin. It's about the specific sin to which we're drawn. Every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Now see, what that emphasizes is that what tempts you might not tempt me. Is that a true statement? It, of course it's true. It's sort of custom-fitted. Now, you, you, you could think about, imagine a lot of different reasons why that's true. I'm just saying that it's inherent in this passage that says every man's tempted of his own lust and enticed. What is it that, that really is hard for you? Temper? How are you doing on temper? What about sins of the, of the tongue? How are you doing on that? You, you use, some, use some foul language sometimes when you get mad. The secret, of course, would be to cross the bridge before you get to it. The secret is to, is to think that thing. I know what triggers the temptation that I face, that, that what, what's, the, what, what's the number one in your life? What's the number one temptation? or number two? What would you say are the things which tempt you the most? The funny thing is, I think you've got something in your mind right now. I think, I think you do. What triggers that? Now you're approaching the wiles of the devil, and you're working on fighting him. Sometimes it has to do with the specific sin. Is it, is it pornography? Is it adultery? It's interesting to me in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5 when Paul is talking about adultery and he says now to the married couples and he's talking about the intimacy of marriage. We talked, we had a sermon about that recently and I referenced this passage. He says, I don't want you to defraud, don't defraud one another except it be with consent for a season, a period of time. And then you, listen to this, and then you come together again that Satan tempt you not for your lack of self-control. What it appears to say is that That when husbands and wives spend too much time apart, and again, this is in the context of the intimacy of marriage, you spend too much time apart, what's going to happen is that the devil's going to figure that out and he will find a way to tempt you. That'll scare the socks off of you. That that it would be specifically patterned for me. That it would be specific. But you know what? If I was the devil, that's how I would do it. Right? Of course. Of course. The third observation I would make about the fact that, that sin is custom-fitted to us, the temptation is that way. Every man's tempted of his own lust is this, is that my attitude toward other people's temptation ought to be impacted by this reality. I just want to say that if it's true that every man's tempted of his own lust and we all understand our own lives and ourselves and what it is that tempts us the most, just because I'm not tempted with what another man is tempted by doesn't mean I should look down on him for what he's tempted by. Is that true? And in the time that I, that I think this is, I don't know if this is not the only application, but it certainly is one. When you think about the temptation of homosexuality, the practice of homosexuality is a sin against God. But I can tell you right now, although I, I'm, I'm not tempted with that sin, I'm not tempted at all with that sin. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that to make this illustration. I mean, I'm not. But I pity a man who is or a woman who is. It's not as if I would mock that. I'm not going to mock that because I've got temptations of my own. And what we have to do is to be sure that we're clear about what the Bible says about sin and working and helping each other to, to overcome the temptations that we face. Our attitude toward other people's temptation would be affected by the fact that we understand that every man's tempted of his own lust and enticed. What I know about temptation, number three, is that it's personally sculpted for me. Number four, I know that it can own me. I know that if I don't keep fighting, and people in this room are people who, by their very nature, Christians, you're people who fight it, and that distinguishes you as a Christian. It's one of the distinguishing marks, isn't it? 1 Timothy 4 and 2, the spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And here's the last part, ready? Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You ever see that happen? And you know what it is. It's, it's a hot iron, it's branding a cow. Yeah? And I've, I've seen, you've seen that happen. And what happens is when that brand heals up, that, that, that leather is tough. That place is really tough. I, I doubt you could take a pen and pierce it. I doubt you could. My conscience can get like that. I remember when I was a young man, sometimes the preachers in, in the revivals, and the meetings would talk about people, maybe in the, in the invitation, the end of the sermon, they would say, you know, I, I've seen people who are not Christians and they were so convicted by the truth that they, but they didn't want to obey the gospel. They would hold on and their knuckles would turn Hold on to the pew in front of them. Their knuckles were turned white. You ever hear a preacher talk like that? But it made a profound impression. I mean, that's just true. It is true, of course. And and the funny thing about it is that the longer the fellow holds on to the pew, the 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 lighter his grip is going to become, until he doesn't really have to hold on at all. I remember Bob Duncan, who was a, a great gospel preacher. He's been gone. Sometime. A great mentor of mine, and he would illustrate it this way that you can take an alarm clock and set it for 2 a.m., and the first night it goes off, it's going to knock you out of the bed. But then you do that for a couple of weeks, and what you'll find at the end of that two weeks is that you'll wake up the next morning, and the alarm will be turned off, and you won't remember turning it off. But you did. Now, inherent in that illustration is just a great warning about temptation. And about sin. Here's the challenge for you in this one. The temptation, if I don't correct it in my life, can end up owning me. Here's your challenge. Sometimes you're going to sin. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, that all of us do. Sometimes you will. I challenge you to make it your goal. That when you do succumb to some sin... You yield to some temptation that it's an exception to who you are and not the pattern that you follow. We can do that. How, what do, you, how do you describe that? Well, you would describe that First John chapter 1 and verse 7 that we walk in the light as he is in the light. and We have fellowship. And how about Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly watch the stair steps, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight. Is this you? Is this me? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Now, here's number five. It's the last one for this evening. It'll take me where I never wanted to go. Now, you do not have to go very far in your thought process right now to remember people for whom this is true or about whom this is true. I know them, and you know them. And when you think about David, who began to long for Bathsheba, and, and, and you know how that thing turned out. He, he committed murder. He didn't kill the man Uriah with his own hands, but he might as well have done so because he's the one who took the life of that man. He had a child by her. He heard those words one day sent to him, David, I, I'm going to have a baby. The baby's yours. And one day, David's going to be standing by the the grave, the new grave of that child. And you talk about misery upon misery. Psalm 51, verse 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Go to the next slide. Did I put this up there? My sin. Here it is. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. What's that? My sin's ever before me. What does it mean? He never meant to to be where he is now. Where he is now is that the guilt of that sin, what he did, the awfulness of all the things and 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 the consequences of those things. They follow him around. They follow him around. What if David, like the prodigal, I've, I think this about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and, and here he is feeding the swine, and he says, he would fain, he says, he would fain, have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself and said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I've perished with hunger, I would arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no more worthy to be called your son, make me as one of your hired servants. Stop a second. Suppose David, suppose the prodigal, before the sins had been committed, could have seen the end result of the sin. Suppose they could have seen the end result. You think they'd have done it? The answer is, of course not. Of course not. Here's a tool. Here's a tool. Great time to talk about temptations in a room like this at a time like this, because You know what? We're worshiping God. We're probably as far from temptation as we're going to get right now in this room with Christians. Probably the, you know what? I I doubt that there's very many people seriously tempted to commit sin right now of any kind in this room. Now's time. Now's the time to think about this and to prepare myself for the times of temptation and to remember the way that Satan works in my life and to bear in mind that if I, give it, if I give it its reign, temptation to sin will take me where I never wanted to go. There are two terrible lands in reference to sin. Two terrible, awful places. One is the place of desire, and the other is the place of consequences. The land of consequences, of course, is worse. The land of desire is so bad because it's just filled with deception often self-deception. The land of consequence is the land of regrets. What a terrible place to be. Oh, that I could go back. Oh, that I could turn the clock back. I, I would never have done what I did. And I suppose to some degree, perhaps not an awful degree, but to some, everybody in this room of appreciable age can, can say, I, there, I have regrets. There are some regrets, some things I wish I hadn't done, some things I wish I hadn't said. So, there you have it. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death and then the sweet part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And I'm here to tell you the beauty of being a Christian and walking in Christ is that we can have new beginning. To Bring your sins to him and with his blood he'll wash the guilt away. There's some beautiful verses about Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say the Lord's my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do. I love that. Or, or, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, and Jesus, I hope, will never, ever, ever leave me. And you, you and I ought to vow that we won't leave him. And so with that in mind, it's good for us to talk about temptation. It's good for us to understand as much as we can from the Bible about it. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who's not a Christian and maybe you've been studying about Jesus and want to follow him. Well, I hope you will. It won't always be easy. I'll tell you what, what we've talked about tonight represents some things that are going to be very difficult for you. It is for all of us, but it's worth it. It's so very worth it. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus and we'll immerse you in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you need the prayers of Christians, you know we are in this together and we will be so happy to pray with you tonight and for you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.